Well, this morning, we are going to be talking about prayer and the Lord's Prayer that they were singing about. Uh, Pastor Daryl had mentioned last week at the beginning of this year, uh, we're going back to the basics. And so today, we're going to talk about prayer. And we're going to be learning about prayer from the Lord's Prayer. It has been said, to be human is to pray. To be human is to pray. In moments of great joy, great need, great fear, great guilt, great sadness, we tend to speak to someone or something beyond ourselves because we can't help it. To be human is to pray. And yet many times we wonder, does it have to be complicated? Are there rules to prayer? How do I know if I'm doing it right? Well, one day, Jesus is teaching his disciples about prayer, and Jesus gives us the greatest prayer ever prayed, and he starts by giving us a couple of warnings. So we'll look at the warnings first. This is from Matthew chapter 6, verse 5. Jesus says, And when you pray, do not be like the hypocrites, for they love to pray standing in the synagogues and on the street corners to be seen by others. Truly I tell you, they have received their reward in full. Now, I don't know about you, but when I am with a group of people, sometimes when somebody else is praying, instead of really listening to their prayer, so I'm praying along with them, I'm thinking about how will I pray when it's my turn to pray out loud? Which sounds kind of foolish. Uh, A number of years ago, I was attending a pastor's conference over in Rhinelander. And I got there late, uh, just in time for the opening. And they had decided for the opening of this pastor's conference, since there was just a few pastors actually present, that they were going to form a circle and then go around the circle praying for the person to their right. So I come flying in and I sit down. And the gentleman to my right starts praying for the person on his right. And this guy launches into a prayer that was absolutely absolutely amazing. It was sending chills down everybody's uh, body. I mean, he was calling down angels. He was singing songs and quoting scriptures. He was like Billy Graham and Dwight Moody and, and all of them wrapped up and he was just going at it. And the whole time I'm thinking, how am I going to compete against this? I don't even know the guy's name. All right. Have you ever thought about that? Well, Jesus kind of gives us an alternative strategy. He says, but when you pray, go into your room, close the door, and pray to your Father who is unseen. Then your Father who sees what is done in secret will reward you. You see, in Jesus' day on poor farms in Palestine, they didn't have private bedrooms. Uh, The only room that had a door, if they even had a door, uh, that could be closed and locked would be a supply room that would have food, tools, maybe even small animals in it. So this would have been a room that had absolutely no importance to it whatsoever. And one of the good reasons to pray in private is that if you do it really badly, only God will know about it. And this is what we understand. God doesn't care about your performance. God sees what's in your heart. Prayer is always between you and God. Jesus knows all about this, and he goes on, verse 7, And when you pray, do not keep on babbling like pagans, for they think they will be heard because of their many words. Even in Christian circles, people sometimes pray mindless prayers where our minds just go on autopilot. 
I've heard of people who will sit down in front of a meal loaded with grease, butter, sugar, fat, cholesterol, and pray, God, bless this food to the nourishment of our bodies. You might as well pray, God, bless this food to the hardening of our arteries, because that's all that's going to happen. You're not asking God for a blessing. You're asking God for a miracle when you do that. You see, the pagans did not realize prayer to the God of Israel was intelligent, thoughtful conversation about what we are doing together. That's prayer in the Bible. So Jesus gives us these warnings, and then he gave one of us uh, the, the best gifts ever, the grandest prayer that has ever been prayed. Of all the prayers human beings has ever prayed, this is the best and most repeated. This is called the Lord's Prayer. And I would encourage you to pray this prayer that Jesus taught uh, each day this week. And you might just make a commitment to pray it first thing in the morning. And the idea is this prayer is just not rote words that we just rush through. But we actually take time to think about them and help them reorient our daily life. So in the time that we have before participating in the Lord's table, I want us to walk together through each phrase of the Lord's Prayer. And then this week, as part of Prayer Week focus, you pray it every day. So let's dive right in. We start with our Father in heaven. This is a tremendous reminder that prayer is not the same thing as just worrying out loud. Prayer is my thinking through in conversation with God. That means I have to address God. Anytime I talk or email somebody, I address them. We just don't say, hey, you. In an intimate relationship, we often have private names, terms of endearment. Couples in love often do this. They'll call each other by little nicknames. Children often do this with grandparents, like grandma, grandpa, oma, opa, ma, pa. Now, in Jesus, uh, Jesus says, we're to call the creator and sustainer of all things our Father. Now, you realize the whole gospel is wrapped up in that first little word, are. God is just not the father of Jesus. Whoever your earthly daddy was, whatever your earthly daddy was like, you have a heavenly father who made you, who loves you, who watches over you. And when I pray, our father, I remember God never says, what do you want now? What do you want now? When I pray, our Father, I remember that I am special. But also, I am not more special than. Because our Father means every single human being I see is loved by the heart of God. We say, our Father in heaven. Think about that for a moment. In heaven. What do you think of when you think of about heaven? Here's a question. Which is closer to you? Heaven or the city of Superior? Which one is closer to you? Uh, Interesting enough, in this text, uh, heaven is in the plural. It's in the heavens. The realm of God. And where does God exist? God exists everywhere. 
In fact, we might pray this nowadays. Our Father, who is closer than the air I breathe. When you pray, our Father who is in heaven, don't think of somebody who is way, way, way out there. Think of somebody who is closer than the air that's going into your lungs. That's where God is, right here. Our Father in heaven, hallowed be your name. And what that means is, God, may your reputation on earth be greatly enhanced. No other. May people come to realize how wonderful you are. May you be adored. May you be worshipped. May you be praised. And God is most worthy of praise. And we were made to praise. And that's why we say, hallowed be your name. Then your kingdom come. Your will be done on earth as it is in heaven. And for me, this part of the Lord's Prayer is kind of like a reorienting for myself. I remember your kingdom come. My life is not all about me. My life is not all about my problems. My life is not all about my sin or guilt. My life is not all about my opinions or agendas. There is the kingdom of God. And I am alive because it is God's will that I be alive. And I am who I am because that's God's will. And I want to be a part of the grand project of God's will being done on this earth. In our country, on the line, in our schools, in our neighborhoods, in our workplaces, up there, coming down here, God's will being done. And that will always force me into this prayer of surrender. God, your will be done. Not mine. Not any other. God, your will be done. In me, in my body, with my time, with my money, with my energy, with my words, in my relationships, with this day. And then that leads to the next request. God, give us today our daily bread. God, give me today what I need for today. And this is so important because manna, daily bread, provision comes one day at a time. It is not give me what I need for the rest of my life. Give us today. Imagine if you have little children and you serve them breakfast one morning. They come to the table. They have their fruit loops, but they put half of their fruit loops into a little plastic baggie. And so you ask them, why are they doing that? And they tell you, they're not sure you're going to feed them tomorrow. Well, you would tell them, hey, tomorrow is not your job. Tomorrow's my job. Your job is today. You're to eat the Fruit Loops. You receive what I give you today. You know, when I, when I worry, it is always about the future. It is always about tomorrow. But I have found so far in life that I can face anything if I do it with God one day at a time. And this is the prayer. Give us today our daily bread. It's what I need for today. 
Give me wisdom for today, strength for today, love for today, wisdom for today, answers for today, joy for today. Tomorrow will come tomorrow. God, give me what I need today. And then, forgive us our debts. A great Christian thinker by the name of Neil Platinga wrote, Recalling and confessing our sin is like taking out the garbage. Once is not enough. This is something we're to do daily. People sometimes wonder, how often do I need to confess my sin? Well, how often do you sin? This is why we got to do it daily. The late Dallas Willard wrote, A woman I know had a three-year-old granddaughter who was playing with the hose in the backyard. This little girl discovered how to make mud, and she made a huge mess. Her grandmother, named Nana, had been reading, facing the other direction. But she turned around and saw the mud everywhere. So she cleaned up the mess, told her granddaughter not to make any more mud, and turned toward her, so she was now reading, facing her granddaughter. Her granddaughter wanted to make mud, wanted to play with mud. So she said very sweetly to her grandmother, Don't look at me, Nana, okay? Don't look at me, Nana. And Nana agreed. We would say Nana's a little codependent is what we would call her nowadays. But every once in a while, as the three-year-old wallowed in the forbidden mud, she would say in a charming little voice, Don't look at me, Nana. Don't look at me. Dallas Willard writes, Thus the tender soul of a little child shows how necessary it is to us that we be unobserved in our wrong. You've heard of the sinner's prayer. This is the real sinner's prayer. Don't look at me, God. Don't look at me, God. I want to indulge my temper. Don't look at me, God. I want to ignore my neighbor. Don't look at me, God. I want to indulge my appetite. Don't look at me, God. I want to vent on this post. Don't look at me, God. You see, doing wrong requires we put God out of our mind. So every day, We need to pray, Father, forgive us our debts. For me, most often, I will do this at night where I review the day from kind of one moment to the next and ask God to show me where I've simply been playing in the mud and ask for forgiveness. And then ask God, is there something I needed to go back and clean up? Is there somebody I need to talk to and ask for forgiveness? And forgive us our debts as we also have forgiven our debtors. You know, it is impossible for us to have a tender heart toward God and a hard heart toward others. It's impossible. Anytime I'm holding a grudge or indulging bitterness, I have to say, God, don't look at me. Don't look at me. I cannot embrace God's forgiveness of me 
and unforgiveness toward another person at the same time. Receiving and offering forgiveness are inextricably tied together. It's just not they should be, they are. They just are. And that leads to the next phrase, lead us not into temptation, but deliver us from the evil one. So here I'm asking God to guide me. God, keep me from falling into my worst self. Give me the strength not to fall into the destructive habits and patterns that I know I will on my own. I saw another prayer not long ago that's useful to me that goes like this. Dear God, so far I've done all right. I haven't gossiped, haven't lost my temper, haven't been greedy, grumpy, nasty, selfish, or overindulgent. I'm really glad about that. But in a few moments, God, I'm about to get up and get out of bed. And from then on, I'm going to need a lot more help. Thank you. Amen. You see, somebody is going to lead me. And if it isn't God, who else or what else is it going to be? And that's made me to think, I know this is just tiny, trivial little moment, but how often in the moments of my day do I not pray, God, deliver me from this temptation to not trust you? How often do I not pray, God, deliver me from this anger? How often do I not pray, God, deliver me from this fear? How often do I not pray, God, deliver me from this foolishness? How often do I not pray, God, guide me, lead me? Jesus is saying, ask, and I will lead you. God, lead me not into temptation. Deliver me from the evil one. In other words, my allegiance is to be to God, and God alone. Now, if you look at your Bible in Matthew chapter 6, verse 13 in this passage, you will notice that the prayer Jesus prayed, the Lord's Prayer, ends right there. And lead us not into temptation, deliver us from the evil one. And this is a little bit of tendency with Jesus. He often ends his teaching on quite a hard or jarring note. Jesus often doesn't pretty stuff up. And he knows an unresolved ending often sticks in people's minds. So very early on in this grand prayer, Jesus' followers added these words, and they're part of the prayer as well. For yours is the kingdom and the power and the glory forever and ever. God, you are large and you are in charge. No one else. And then this final word, amen. And I'll say something about this little word too. Just as it is good to begin a prayer conversation with God by addressing him, it is really good to close it, to end on a note of prayer and praise. And this little word, often confused and used in our day, is more than just a little way of saying the end. That's all. See you to next time. Okay? Uh, this little word is just an, uh, a ringing affirmation. So be it. So be it. May it be true. It's really what it means. This is just the way we want it. So for you, yours is the kingdom and the power and the glory forever and ever. Amen. May it be so. In me, in us all. So this week, pray the prayer Jesus taught us to pray. At least once 
each day this week. Don't rush through it. Make this an adventure in prayer with God. So to get us started, I'm going to ask all of us to recite the Lord's Prayer together. It's going to come up on the screen. Uh, and we probably all kind of learned it in different versions and forms and everything. So we've got it up on the screen so that way we're all not mumbling different, uh, you know, uh, kingly languages uh, of this and everything. And to do this, I'm going to ask you if you would stand as we recite this prayer. Again, this is the most prayed prayer in the history of the human race. Nothing else comes close. Jesus taught us to pray this prayer. It has been prayed in more languages, across more continents, in more cultures and civilizations, century after century, for the last 2,000 years. And when we say this prayer, we humbly and grandly join a great chain of prayer that has now not stopped from the first day Jesus taught it today. Every moment, day after day, night after night, every year, people in every tongue pray this prayer. So let's do it together now. Ready? Our Father in heaven, hallowed be your name. Amen.